0: don't wait. Visit sonobel dot com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save.
2: Texting privacy policy in terms of conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and roles for occurring automated text marketing messages, message data rates may apply reply stop
0: opt out.
4: Welcome everyone to Too Good To Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject of today's show is deaths of victims seemingly from nowhere. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it.
5: We choose a subject, then research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting these psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers.
4: Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. This show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if the theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not good with pronouncing names, we apologize. Neither of us have any particular knowledge of police work or forensic science. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. And as we are talking about people who have died, we want to pay our utmost respect to all of them. If we offend anyone for any reason in discussing these strange cases, we certainly apologize.
5: The subject today is people who have died in strange or unique circumstances, with no one having come forward to identify who has died. We're going to discuss four cases, the Isdal Woman, the Somerton Man, Bella in the Elm, and Little Lord Fauntleroy.
4: This was your idea. How did you come up with it?
5: I was always interested in the story of the Isdal Woman and found some other unsolved mysteries where the dead were never identified. The body of the Isdal Woman was found in the Isdalen Valley in Bergen, Norway in November of 1970. Here's part of a Wikipedia article, quote, An autopsy concluded the woman died from phenomol and carbon monoxide poisoning. Analysis of her blood showed that she had consumed at least 50 sleeping pills. Her face had been burned and was unrecognizable. Her neck was bruised, possibly by a blow. Her teeth indicated she had been to a dentist in the Far East, Central Southern Europe or South America. Police immediately launched a full-scale investigation. Composite sketches based on witness descriptions and analysis of her body were published in the Norwegian media and circulated in many countries via Interpol. They found two suitcases belonging to the woman at an NSB railway station in Bergen. In the lining of one, police discovered 500 Deutsche Mark. Among other things, they found clothing, all identifying labels removed, a lotion prescription, doctor's name and date removed, 130 Norwegian Kroner, Spoons similar to the one found melted in the and Valley site, a pair of sunglasses carrying partial fingerprints, and some diary entries. Police later concluded the entries were coded dates of places the woman had visited. An unusual dress was found as well. From that police determined the woman had somewhat provocative style, marked by Italian taste. An Italian photographer's postcard was found in the woman's luggage. When police spoke with him, he said he'd given a similar woman a lift to the Hotel Alexandra in Lowen. He said he also had dinner with her. The woman told him she was from a small town north of Johannesburg, South Africa, and she had six months to see Norway's most beautiful places. The police checked in the woman, a photographer named in South Africa, and she was not reported missing. Thus, this line of inquiry went nowhere. Police learned the Isdal woman had travelled around Norway and Europe with at least eight false passports. While authorities eventually concluded she had committed suicide, others believe there is evidence that she was murdered. In 2016, a DNA profile was obtained from her teeth, and this as well as handwriting analysis suggested European and possibly French origin. In 2017, isotopic analysis of her teeth revealed that she probably spent her early childhood in Central or Eastern Europe, but spent her adolescence farther west. Multiple investigations point to the possibility that she was a spy, unquote.
4: Isn't suicide for cause of death rather questionable? A blow to the neck, if self-inflicted, seems odd. Also, how did the face become burned and unrecognizable?
5: She was found face down in what looked to be a campfire. There were two empty bottles smelling of gasoline found near the body. One source states that her fingerprints have been removed by sandpaper.
4: How old was she when she died?
5: Just recently, the Norwegian broadcasting company NRK reported that she was born in 1930, plus or minus four years. So in 1970, she would have been about 40 years old. NRK also reported that she put her age at 28 when registering at a hotel.
4: Was anything later discovered?
5: There was an eyewitness who claimed he saw the woman just, before, just days before her body was discovered, but his account took 35 years to become public. Here's more from the Wikipedia article. Quote, In 2005, a Bergen resident who was 26 in 1970 told a local newspaper that after seeing the sketch circulated, he had suspected the dead woman was the woman he had seen five days before the body was found when he was hiking on the hillside at Floin. He was dressed lightly for the city rather than a hike. Sorry, she was dressed lightly for the city rather than than a hike and was with two men wearing coats who looked southern. She seemed to, about to say something, but they stopped her. He went to someone he knew at the police to report this, but was told to forget about it. Therefore, neither his name nor his alleged sighting was recorded anywhere back then, unquote. Floyd is a mountain community near Bergen.
4: With that, what is your next story of a dead person, apparently from nowhere?
5: The Summerton Man, a story from Adelaide, Adelaide sorry, South Australia. Here's part of an article from the Australian ABC website from January of this year. Quote, in 1948, the deceased man found on Somerton Beach quickly became known as the Somerton Man. He was well built, clean shaven, and found nicely dressed in a suit and tie. He had no real belongings on him, no identification, and the tags on his clothes had been removed. But police later discovered a secret pocket in the waistband of the man's pants. Inside, they found a piece of paper rolled tightly bearing the words, Taman Shud. This phrase appears at the end of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, an 11th century book of Persian poems. And when translated, the words mean the end or finished. In the weeks following this discovery, a businessman came forward with a copy of the Rubaiyat. He claimed it had been thrown into his car through an open window. And when police turned to the back of the book, they found the final page where the words Tam and should should have been torn out. More intriguing, though, was the writing on the back cover of the book. Five lines of letters and at least one phone number. The letters couldn't be decoded, but a telephone number led police to the doorstep of a young nurse. Did she know who the Somerton Somerton man was? Despite now being buried, a plaster cast of the Somerton man's body had been made. When the nurse was asked to identify it, she looked like she was going to faint, but she denied ever knowing the man. At the time, police felt sure the nurse knew more, but without evidence of motive, no more leads and no real suspects in the frame, his death was, discla- was declared a suicide and the case went cold. The nurse asked for a name to be scratched from the case file, and with murder ruled out, the police had no choice but to comply. Unquote.
4: Besides being ruled a suicide, what was the exact cause of death?
5: Here's a quote from Wikipedia quote, The autopsy showed that the man's last meal was a pasty eaten three to four hours before death but tests failed to reveal any foreign substance in the body. The pathologist, Dr. Dwyer, concluded, I am quite convinced the death could not have been natural. The poison I suggested was a barbiturate or soluble hypnotic. Although poisoning remained a prime suspicion, the pasty was not believed to be the, sort of the source of the poison, unquote. A pasty, originally a Cornish pasty, is a meat and vegetable pie without gravy that would leak out for which the pie crust itself is a container. Cornish tin miners would carry passage with them underground to eat later.
4: Did the body have any distinguishing features?
5: Here is another quote from Wikipedia. According to the pathologist John Burton Clayland, the man was of Britisher appearance and thought to be aged about 40 to 45. He was in top physical condition. He was 180 centimeters, 5 foot 11 to- inches tall, with grey eyes, fair to ginger-coloured hair, slightly grey around the temples with broad shoulders, and a narrow waist, hands and nails that showed no signs of manual labour, big and little toes that met in wedge shape, in a wedge shape, like those of a dancer or someone who wore boats with pointed toes, and pronounced high calf muscles like those of a ballet dancer. Unquote.
4: What was the reason for the nurse nearly fainting when asked to identify the plaster cast of the body?
5: The nurse apparently gave birth to a son a year before the Somerton man died, who later became a professional ballet dancer.
4: So why didn't the nurse say who the Somerton man was? Also, there can't be that many ballet dancers. Why wasn't there a search of names of ballet dancers around his age?
5: I think if the answers to those questions were known, the mystery would be solved. But there is an interesting development.
4: We'll have to continue with this interesting development about the Somerton Man after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net.
3: Exone radio tv for more information on the exxon radio tv show with yours truly rob mcconnell visit www.exoneradiotv.com or www.xzontvchannel.com, or simultv.com and xzbn.net
4: Welcome back to Too Good To Be True, and before the break, we're discussing the Somerton Man and the mysterious death. So, we were talking about an interesting development. Did someone come forward with new information?
5: Adelaide University academic Derek Abbott, who was investigating the case, met Rachel Egan, who may be the granddaughter of the Somerton Man. They subsequently married. Derek Abbott is awaiting DNA test results from hairs left on the plaster cast used to identify the body. But if success would only produce limited information, the testing may take a long time. The authorities have refused to exhume the body for DNA testing.
4: Who is the next victim from nowhere?
5: A woman named Bella whose body, or nicknamed Bella rather, whose body was found in a witch arm in the county of Worcestershire in England in 1943. A witch arm with which spelt W-Y-C-H is a large tree that was very common in Europe and elsewhere before the onset of Dutch elm Disease.
4: What town or village was the tree located?
5: It was in the village of Hagley, uh, located in the English West Midlands. Here's part of an article entitled The Hagley Woods Ministry, Mystery from the website, The Unredacted from March of this year. Quote, when Sunday, one Sunday morning in April 1943, during the dark days of World War II, Four teenage boys made a terrifying discovery that would baffle the police and remain a mystery for over 70 years. The boys were searching for birds' nests at Hagley Woods, a private estate near Birmingham in England's Midlands. Climbing up an ancient old witch elm tree, 15-year-old Bob Farmer saw something truly terrible. Looking down the hollowed-out trunk, Farmer noticed a strange object staring back at him from the dark interior. The teenager was horrified when he realized it was a human skull. A clump of hair hung off the remaining flesh on the forehead and two crooked teeth gaped out of the mouth. After the boys had a good look at their horrific find, they put it back in a tree and left the woods. They agreed among themselves not to tell anyone about their discovery. They were trespassing in the woods, poaching no less. If they told the police they would be, they could be in big trouble. But one of the boys was so upset by what he saw, he told his father and the police were soon called to the area. What they found inside the old tree trunk was bizarre. The skeleton of a young woman, minus one of her hands. A piece of taffeta was stuffed into, in the skull's mouth. Some scraps of clothes with labels cut out, battered shoes and a gold ring were also found in the tree. Nearby were bones of the woman's hand, scattered next to the tree. The police were troubled by the unusual circumstances of the woman's death were sinister forces at work in Hagley Wood, unquote. Uh, taffeta is a type of woven fabric. The victim had an item of clothing made of taffeta.
4: What was the cause of death?
5: The unredacted article continues, quote, Pathologist James Webster was able to determine the victim had died around 18 months ago, was around 35 years of age, with bouncy colored hair was five foot tall and had given birth in the past, and had irregular teeth. Webster could find no obvious injuries and concluded she had probably died as a result of the cloth stuffed down her throat. He also believed that she would have been placed in the tree shortly after death, because the space was so tight inside, she would have not fitted once rigor mortis had set in. From Webster's work, the police managed to create a detailed description of the woman. But nobody came forward, and a search of 3,000 missing persons cases around the country provided, proved fruitless. A nationwide search of dental practices also drew blank. The woman had had dental work done within a year of her death, but there was not a trace of her presence at any surgery. Unquote.
4: Were there any further developments?
5: The unredacted website article goes on to describe a strange development. Quote, as Christmas 1943 approached, people had forgotten about the strange case of the woman in the tree until the graffiti started. Who put Lou Bella down the witch arm, the first one said. Then Hagleywood Bella. Soon it settled on, who put Bella in the witch arm. The graffiti appeared on walls throughout the West Midlands, seemingly by the same hand. Someone, it seemed, knew more than they were letting on. From then on, the woman found in the older elm at Hagley would be known as Bella, even by the police, but they were never able to find who was responsible for the graffiti and were no closer to answering its question. Was the writer of the graffiti taunting the police? Had they killed Bella or knew who had,
4: The story was in the newspapers, so anyone could have put up the graffiti, but is that the end of the story?
5: No, Bella's face has been reconstructed from her skull. This was completed in February of this year by Dr. Caroline Wilkinson, forensic anthropologist and director of the FACES Lab at Liverpool, John Moores University.
4: What did Bella look like?
5: She looks like any ordinary person except her two crooked front teeth.
4: That's what people from Britain can look like, a couple of crooked teeth here and there, just like you.
5: Bella's crooked front teeth were very pronounced. They looked out of the norm.
4: What theories are there for who Bella was and why she was killed?
5: In August of 2016, the website Urban Ghost Media described three possible theories. Quote, various theories emerged. One, visit, one posited that Bella may have been a Birmingham prostitute had disappeared several years earlier. The anthropologist Margaret Murray, meanwhile, was certain the case, was tied to witchcraft and the occult. The severed hand was a sure sign of an execution, she claimed. But there was no hard evidence to support her theory. The missing extremity was credited to the work of wild animals scavenging for food. Another theory, however, claimed the woman was an immigrant whose death was linked to a German spy ring. Like other compelling unsolved mysteries, the story had been revisited at various times over the years. And tantalizingly recently declassified documents may lend credence to the idea that the skeletal remains really did belong to someone involved in wartime espionage,
4: What did the recently declassified documents reveal?
5: The London Independent newspaper in an article from March of 2013 discusses the content of the declassified documents. The article claims that a cabaret singer named Clara uh, Bowell had been recruited as a spy and had been due to parachute into the Midlands in the spring of 1941.
4: That would explain why there were no available dental records.
5: But several sources are clear that Clara Barrel was laid to rest in Berlin in 1942 after dying of unintended poisoning.
4: Did Clara resemble the recent facial reconstruction?
5: The crooked teeth were not obvious, but the major mismatch was that Clara Barrel was reported as being 6 feet or 1.8 meters tall and not 5 feet or 1.5 meters tall as estimated for better.
4: Do you want to continue with the last story of the child victim named Little Lord Fontory, who was the original Little Lord Fontory?
5: Yes, uh, Little Lord Fontory was a title of a children's story published in the St. Nicholas Magazine from 1885 to 1886. It was then published as a novel and later made into a movie in 1936. It's about an American heir to a British fortune who was a nine year old boy living in poverty in Brooklyn.
4: How did the victim get named after a fictional character?
5: I think it was his age and the way he was dressed. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. Quote, on March 8, 1921, the remains of a boy were found floating in a pond near the O'Loughlin Stone Company in Waukesha, Waukesha County, Wisconsin. Authorities estimated he was between five and eight, seven years old. He had blonde hair, brown eyes, and a tube missing from his lower jaw. He had been struck with a blunt instrument. The boy could have been in the water for several months. He was dressed in a gray sweater, Munsing underwear, black stockings, a blouse and leather shoes. The clothing quality suggested the child was from an affluent family. Police displayed his body at a local funeral funeral home, trying to identify him. But no one claimed the body. The boy was buried on March the 17th, 1921, Munsing is a brand name still in use.
4: What other information is available about the sad discovery?
5: The website The li- Lineup in an article from 2017 provides a detailed account of the aftermath of finding the body. Here is part of the article: quote, Detectives tried to determine how long the body had lain in the quarry. Their estimated estimates range from a few days to six months. Quarry pumpman Mike Coker informed police that he had seen a young woman in a red sweater milling about the property on February the sixth and that she tearfully asked if, him if, he, if he'd seen a boy in the neighborhood. Coker further stated that the woman then joined a the male acquaintance and peered into the quarry before driving off in the car, unquote.
4: That was about a month before the body was found. Were there other developments?
5: Yes, again, from the website, the lineup, quote, police received a small break in the form of David Dobrik, owner of the Liberty Department store. Dobrik claimed to be certain that the victim's clothing had been sold in his store during a sale that past January. Then another break came, this time pointing to a possible identification. A Chicago man named J.B. Belson insisted that the boy was his nephew, the son of his sister, Mrs. G.E. Hormridge. Belson claimed that his sister's ex-husband had kidnapped their two children and threatened to kill them on numerous occasions, unquote. However, despite the promising lead, there was no positive identification of the body.
4: Was the lady in the red sweater interviewed as a witness?
5: Unfortunately, again from uh, the same article, quote, then police received word that the woman seen near the quarry by Mike Coker had committed suicide and that she had done so in the same quarry pond. Police dragged the pond and set off dynamite in the hopes that the explosion would bring a body to the surface. No corpse was found.
4: We'll have to continue after this short break talking about the mysterious death of the little boy and then going into the questions and the psychic insight. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net.
3: Exon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell visit www.exonradiotv.com or www.xzontvchannel.com, or simultv.com and xzbn.net.
0: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save
4: welcome back to too good to be true and before the break we're discussing the tragic death of the little boy that was found in the pond little lloyd little lord Bantley. so we are talking about the lady in the red sweater. Have there been any recent updates other than that?
5: The last update to the story was in 1949. Once again, from the same article, quote, 28 years later in 1949, a medical examiner from Milwaukee suggested that little Lord Fontroy may have been a boy named Homer LeMay, who had disappeared around the same time. Homer LeMay's father was questioned repeatedly about Homer's disappearance. LeMay claimed that his son was left with a Chicago couple named Norton in 1921 who spirited away to Argentina and later mailed a clipping stating that the abducted boy was killed in in an automobile accident. Police followed LeMay's story to South America but found no proof to validate his claims.
4: With that unsatisfactory end to the story, it is time for the first question.
5: We'll start with the Isdal woman. Although it seems unlikely, did the Isdal woman commit suicide? No. How did her neck become bruised? Was she struck by a blow?
4: That could be sad.
5: Was she forced to consume around 50 sleeping pills?
4: There is some very disturbing situation that she is forced to do something, yes.
5: Was she killed where the body was found?
4: In a similar area.
5: Why wasn't the Estelle woman able to be identified?
4: Because she lived in an area that is very secluded.
5: Was she from a small town north of Johannesburg, South Africa?
4: Yes, she was from a small town.
5: Was that in South Africa?
4: Around that area, yes. It's vague since the different country lines, but approximately.
5: Did she have six months to see Norway's most beautiful places?
4: Yes, she was in Norway for a bit.
5: Did the Isdal woman have a a European, possibly French, origin?
4: Her distant family could be traced back, but not where she grew up, no.
5: Was the Isdal woman a spy? No. How did she end up lying face down in a fire?
4: Basically, she got involved with the wrong crowd of people, and she knew information that she wasn't supposed to.
5: Had her fingerprints been removed by sandpaper? Yes. How old was the Isdal woman when she died?
4: Late 20s.
5: Did an eyewitness see her hiking on the, the hillside at Floyd five days before her body was found? Yes. Was she dressed lightly for the city rather than for a hike with two men wearing coats who looked southern?
4: She was dressed different, yes, and yes, she was with men.
5: Did the two men prevent her from speaking?
4: They were not really controlling her, but she was being careful.
5: Why did the police reportedly not want the eyewitness's testimony regarding the Isdal woman being sighted with the two men and was told to forget about it?
4: Because eyewitness testimony is very vague and a lot of memories are usually corrupted when thought back. For example, one might see a red car and they will state it's a red car, but it's actually a blue car. So the authorities are very careful with the testimony, since they didn't actually believe the person.
5: Why was her body in a condition not to be identified, but left to be found in a public place?
4: Basically, because of the non-identification of that. It didn't matter where the body was disposed of.
5: What was the motive for a murder?
4: The information she knew. So if that information leaked, it would have gotten a group of people in very large trouble and it was easier to dispose of her than try to deal with that information.
5: Is there anything you could say about what that information was?
4: It was related to crime.
5: How could the Israel woman afford to travel from South Africa and tour Norway?
4: She saved up for the trip, so it was a pre-planned trip.
5: Was it true she had eight false passports?
4: She had some, yes, but you could say more of a cover-up
5: was part of her murder to remove remove all the labels from her belongings in the suitcases found at the railway station
4: yes and to make sure there was no identifying clothing items belonging that were unique to her
5: why was there so much of a story that the Isdal woman was a spy
4: basically you can think of it where a lot of people like conspiracies and to the fact that she was a spy is more intriguing of a story than a woman who just got caught up with the wrong people.
5: So it wasn't part of a cover-up, it was just that people just happened to believe in a story of a spy.
4: Yes, and it is odd that when people hear a story about a woman from very far from home, hearing information that she's not supposed to, then going missing, a lot of people's minds go directly to that she was involved in something very shady, such as being a spy.
5: Is there anything more you can relate about the life and death of the Isdale woman?
4: Basically, to be very, very careful about the people you hang out with and when you are traveling to a foreign country, to be careful about who you trust, and not to really poke your nose where it doesn't belong, since you never know what you are going to hear or what you are going to experience. So just to put safety first, always let someone know where you are going, where you're going to be, who are you going with, and to be very, very careful, especially when you are really far from home.
5: Changing subject to the Somerton Man, why was the body smartly dressed and found with no identification, the clothing labels removed?
4: Because they didn't want the body to be identified. So basically they removed any traces, since, for example, those labels could possibly have been tracked back to a laundry or to where the more designer clothes were from.
5: Why was there a a secret pocket in the waistband of his suit pants?
4: To store a special item.
5: Why was there a piece of paper rolled tightly in the secret pocket with the words Taman should from the Persian poem Rubiat of Omar Khayyam, meaning the end or finished?
4: That was planted there.
5: Was a copy of the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam with the final page torn out with the words Taman should, should have been thrown into a car through an open window? Yes. Was there writing on the back cover of the book with five lines of letters and at least one phone number?
4: It was a code.
5: What was the point of putting the piece of paper in the pocket and then providing the book from where it was torn out?
4: Basically, so that if the information got out, the right people would hear the code. So that was for a certain group of people to basically say that the death was completed.
5: Why didn't a nurse whose phone number was reported as being on the back of the book identify the cast of the body, even though she apparently had a strong reaction to it?
4: Because it was more of a secret relationship. So she didn't want it publicly known that there was anything going on.
5: Was the Somerton man killed by eating a poison pasty or by some other means of poisoning?
4: It was poisoning, yes.
5: Was the poison a barbiturate or soluble hypnotic?
4: It was a mixture, so it was kind of a concoction, but yes.
5: Was the Somerton man a ballet or other type of dancer by profession?
4: He was involved in the entertainment business, yes. So some dancing, acting, etc., but not just dancing.
5: If the victim was a professional entertainer with presumably some publicity, why wasn't it possible to trace his identity?
4: Basically because the people who knew him never got the information, so it wasn't big time like Broadway, for example, but more of a small town show where they kind of glance over the newspapers, so it was hard to trace back.
5: Did the authorities have anything to fear by exhuming the body? No. What was the motive for the murder?
4: Basically a disagreement, so there is some very aggressive behavior between people, and so it was out of anger.
5: What else can you say about the life and death of the Somerton Man?
4: Again, to be very careful in the entertainment in general is a world that a lot of people don't understand, don't know unless they experience it themselves. And this goes into another warning that basically to be careful about who you trust just like the reoccurring theme. So be careful about watching your food, your drinks and to basically speak up if something tastes funny or if you see something, is put in your drink. And this goes for people who are out and about, just to be very careful about who you trust. And also that a lot of different crime scenes have possible different codes. It's very important to try and crack these codes as quickly as possible, so the information can reach more and more people.
5: Changing subject to Bella, whose body was found in a witch elm, was she killed by suffocation with a piece of taffeta being forced into her throat? Yes. Was her body placed in a tree in the tree shortly after death? Yes. Why were the bones of one of the hands scattered next to the tree?
4: Basically to make a point.
5: Why had the labels on the body's clothing been removed?
4: Again, like the other murder, basically so the clothing cannot be traced.
5: Had the victim died around eighteen months before being found, and was the victim around thirty five years of age?
4: The victim only died shortly before being found, so it wasn't as long as that, but the progression of the decomposition was quick because of the weather conditions. So it was actually a shorter time than actually the investigators believed, but also the state of the body was messed with, so that also led to more decomposition. But yes, she was in her early 30s.
5: Why were there no records of the woman's dental work in any dental surgery in the country?
4: Because she went to a private dentist So it wasn't public information It was a small town dentist
5: I think we need to go into a break Justina
4: Yes, after this short break we'll continue With the questions and the psychic insight About the different mysterious deaths And you're listening to Too Good to Be True With Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh On the Xone Broadcast Network www.xcbn.net. Welcome back to Too Good To Be True, and before the break, we're going through the questions and the psychic insight about mysterious deaths of unidentified people. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions?
5: Yes, I will. Who put the graffiti on walls in the West Midlands, including who put Bella in the witch arm, and why did they do it?
4: The murderer did that as recognition for the crime. So basically you can think of it as they want attention and they want to leave little small traces for authorities.
5: Why didn't the authorities pick up on that as a clue?
4: It wasn't obvious, so it wasn't a direct communication. And the authorities were very busy at the time, which really is an excuse but more of a fact.
5: What was the motive for the murder?
4: Basically someone who has a very twisted mind, so it was an easy kill for them.
5: Why did the murderer put the victim in the tree?
4: Because they were fulfilling a fantasy in their own minds of fulfilling a death such as that. So it was in their minds fulfilling their fantasy.
5: Why did no one come forward to identify Bella given that she had crooked front teeth that would have made her easy to identify?
4: She had hardly any family. So it would have had to be a friend that identified her. And it would be very hard to get that information of them since it's a more small town, close community. And where she was found was not very close to where she was actually living and where she grew up.
5: There are various theories about the victim. What did she do for a living?
4: She worked as a waitress.
5: Are the theories that she was a prostitute, a victim of a cult, or a German spy untrue?
4: and true again. It goes back to that people make some more elaborate stories in some cases.
5: Was the recent reconstruction of Bella's face from her skull close to how she looked when she was alive?
4: There are some differences but it's similar yes.
5: Is there an ongoing effort to match the face with photographs from that era?
4: It would be very difficult. It would really take a lot to try to find someone who could actually identify her. Again, with limited family, it makes it a lot harder.
5: Is it possible to answer the question of who was responsible for Bella's murder?
4: That can't be answered fully, but investigators could trace back, and the advice would be to look at others' very strange murders around the same time.
5: Is it possible to answer the question, which probably you, you have already answered, why was Bella murdered?
4: It was just an easy killing. She was an easy target. And the hard part is that when someone just kills for the thrill of it, they have this ideal in their mind of what person, what type of person they want to perform the killing on. So she basically met that criteria.
5: Is there anything more you can relate about Bella's life, death and strange resting place?
4: Number one, their crimes from a long time ago are very difficult to solve. So that's why it's very important to solve crimes right away or as soon as investigators can because it does make the process easier. Number two is that it is very sad in some situations that there are little to no people to identify the person. But in this case, she's resting peacefully and that her death was very unfortunate, obviously. But people go to all different conspiracy theories when someone is murdered in strange ways. But it's very hard for a normal everyday person to imagine what's in these killers' minds.
5: I should have asked, but are the Isdal woman and the Somerton man at rest and in a good place now?
4: Yes, they have passed over into what you could call it, heaven.
5: Changing subject to the child victim nicknamed Little Lord Fonteroy, had the body been underwater for several months? Yes. Had the boy been killed or seriously injured by being hit with a blunt instrument? Yes. Why was the pond in the quarry chosen to dispose his body?
4: It was a close location.
5: Who was the young woman in the red sweater seen near the location where the body was later discovered, but earlier on February the 6th, 1921?
4: That was someone observing the area, you could say.
5: Was there any connection between the woman and the victim? No. Who was the male acquaintance seen with the young woman in the red sweater on February the 6th, 1921?
4: Again, just a person observing the area, so no connection.
5: Had the victim's clothing been sold in a local Liberty Department store during a sale in January of 1921? Yes. Was the victim the nephew of J.B. Belson, the son of his sister, Mrs. G.E. Hormage?
4: That could be sad.
5: Had Mrs. G.E. Hormage's ex-husband kidnapped their two children as well as threatening to kill them on numerous occasions?
4: There were some violent incidents, yes.
5: Why was the body of the young woman in the red sweater not found in the same pond as the body of the young boy after police believed she had committed suicide there?
4: They weren't directly connected, so that's why they were not found in the same area.
5: So her body wasn't in the pond? Correct. Was it actually known that Mrs. G. Hormage's ex-husband kidnapped their two children as well as threatening to kill them on numerous occasions?
4: It really wasn't well known but it was something that the authorities were aware of but at the time it was very hard to actually convict people of domestic violence so it wasn't like today where it's taken very seriously but instead there was this loyalty where the husband had more control
5: was the ex-husband actually the murderer
4: that can't be answered unless authorities get more information But what can be said is that the boy was harmed on numerous occasions and there was someone that was very angry at him and he was the unfortunate victim of just an angry situation where he was standing up for someone else.
5: Was the motive for the murder just someone being angry and vicious?
4: There was a situation where the boy observed someone being very mistreated and was very mistreated himself. And he decided one day to stand up for himself, and that's when the physical violence went too far.
5: Is there any reason why the police were unable to solve the case?
4: Yes, because one, the body was discovered way after the crime. Number two, DNA was not as it is today, so it was very hard to trace anything back. And because it was just, was an object. If the object wasn't found, then it would be very difficult to chase back the object to a person. So step number one would be actually identifying who the boy is and connecting the dots to who the boy actually is, what possible family, friends, etc. And from there, thinking about who would be angry enough that would hurt the boy.
5: Is the object you mentioned a murder weapon? Yes. Is there anything more you can relate about the life and death of the child victim nicknamed little lord fontaroy
4: what can be said is that is very unfortunate and a very scary thought to think about how many different children are injured so domestic violence needs to be taken very seriously in any case and as that was brought up that's something that needs to be stated is that is way more serious today but if anyone ever saw anyone with injuries any angry different temperaments then it needs to be reported. And also that many different kids go missing and there are many different families that are still waiting for their children to come home. So again, it goes back to trying to be as safe as possible, always watching over the children. And that this is very sad thought to think about, but there are many undiscovered bodies, not only children, but adults that are still in different waterways.
5: Is a child victim who was nicknamed Little Lord Fonteroy now at rest? Yes. That was the last answer. Is more information coming out about these unsolved mysteries too good to be true?
4: That depends on what you are prepared to believe.
5: The interesting thing about the Isdale woman and her passports was that she was apparently from the area of South Africa, at least. And what I recall in the seventies was that uh, through apartheid in South Africa people traveling from that country on South African passports were having a rough time because the rest of the world didn't really approve of that policy of apartheid. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were some false passports used by people from that country. So I was a little bit intrigued why that wasn't sort of in any of the accounts of why she might have had several passports.
4: I think my biggest takeaway and the story that kind of hit me the most was about the little boy just because it was the only one we discussed that was younger. And I think the point that was made in the uh, psychic insight about how there's many different children who go missing, and I think that's something that people don't think about on an everyday basis, but it's not just adults that they unfortunately die in mysterious ways, but it's also children.
5: I must admit... Um going into this and, and looking at the stories, I didn't realize just how, well, of course, murder is sad, but I didn't realize just how sad these cases were. And particularly the last one about the child, apparently he was murdered when he was standing up for somebody else. So he was a brave little chap and nobody deserves, certainly not an innocent child to be treated in that manner. So, um, I don't suppose it's an isolated incident. And, um, I guess, in 1921, it was very difficult to prove anything.
4: Yes, I think the one takeaway from this episode was just to be or try to be as safe as possible. So always be aware of your surroundings, be aware of who you're bound, who you're associating with, be aware of your food and drink, and just kind of have those uh, different safety precautions because kind of my takeaway is you never know when someone's going to injure someone else. You never know if someone's looking for a victim, and that's a really scary thought. But even today, I think that's something that people need to keep in the back of their minds.
5: Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, Can we ask for more listener suggestions? We're working on one at this moment for a future show.
4: Yes, as always, we love to hear from the listeners, and we appreciate each and every listener. So if you want to give us a suggestion, you can either go to our website at toogoodtobetrue.net or... Or a Facebook page at Too Good To Be True with the first two spelled T W O. And as always, thank you so much to the listeners. Again, we appreciate each and every one of you guys. And as always, we'll look forward to next week's show.